listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I am flying solo today. I was in the midst of trying to get the next episode edited, but I've had to do a lot of traveling the past couple of weeks, and I wasn't able to get everything ready in time for today. So I, I instead of releasing our Next discussion, which we have recorded, I just haven't gotten it edited yet, I thought I would do a short little episode and share some of the listener feedback that we've received over the past few weeks. We pre-recorded most of the episodes that have been released so far, so we didn't really have the chance to sprinkle the feedback in from week to week the way that we were able to do when the show was airing. So I thought I would take an opportunity to just share some of the feedback we've received. I'm a little nervous doing this by myself, but I have a little bee's knees cocktail here, and we're going to see how this goes. I'm going to go in order of the episodes. So in response to our episode about the first two episodes of the podcast, Our Needs to Shape Us, we have an email from Ralph. And Ralph says, thank you for the discussion of the lab slash office space challenge in this week's podcast. I am an academic lab safety professional, and this has been an ongoing point of stress for me for 30 years. The challenge is that lab architects have little to no understanding of lab work patterns and often lay out lab spaces in ways that work against best safety practices. It sounds like your workspace, meaning Chris and my workspace, is better organized than many I have seen, which look more like Cosima's dyad crash pad with comfy furniture next to the fume hood. I hadn't thought about that, Ralph. You're right. That is bad planning. With regards to the specific labs in Orphan Black, I think of both Dr. Leakey's and Dr. Sturgis's labs as vanity labs, which they maintain to impress visitors rather than to conduct science. That aligns with the characterization of both of these characters, both as self-centered people and as scientific managers who are more involved in client relationships than lab research. The safety shower in Dr. Sturgis's lab could have been left in place when the space was converted from a lab to an office, which is a common occurrence when the use of rooms changes often. I also appreciate your comments on the difference between TV and audio presentation. The biggest challenge that I have in regard in that regard is not picturing new characters as actors from the series. For example, my mental image of Vivi is that she looks like MK both stylistically and physically. That may be because Tat's cadence for Vivi is pretty similar to MK's, or it could be because of similar personalities. I also have a hard time separating my mental image of Sturgis from some of the dyad characters in the series. Not Matt Fuhrer, though. You know, I hadn't thought about that. I don't have a great sense of what I think Vivi looks like. We know she has red, auburn, curly hair. And so, yeah, I can see where, why you would just maybe be picturing MK, but with redder hair. I don't know that I've really gotten a clear image of Sturgis. I mostly just think of Kasima's description of him with the bad hair dye job, but... I don't know, his face isn't super clear to me. But yeah, definitely I don't picture him looking like Dr. Leakey either. Ralph continues, One other note, if Johansson hadn't died before CRISPR enabled bipaternal reproduction, he would have been all over that technology. So Ralph is talking about the technology that is now allowing scientists to take basically the sperm from two mice to create a viable embryo, which is not 
as we discussed in that episode, not as successful as they've uh, been taking like two eggs from two separate mice to make an embryo. Uh, but it took me a minute to talk to figure out what Ralph was kind of alluding to here. But, you know, Johansson was just all about creating his own children. So I think Ralph is getting at the fact that if he thought he could make his own children from exclusively his own DNA, he'd be super stoked about that. And so, yes, I agree. I think he would have been uh, very in support of that. Ralph then includes a postscript that says, if your safety shower's water smells when you flush it, it's not being flushed often enough and or for a long period of time. Okay, he says more, but I wanted to clarify, I've actually, since he sent this email, gotten more like attuned to where the smell is coming from when I do my flushes, and it's actually the drain. It's not the water from the, the shower itself. So I think we're actually flushing it appropriately. It's just our drain smells bad. <laughs> and the lab, because I used to work in another area of the lab, and they would actually pour like a water bleach solution down the drain every like two weeks or so just to kind of help with that. But we don't do that in the main lab area. And now I kind of see why they did it in the cytology processing area because I think we could probably use it. Next, we have another email from Ralph about our discussion of episode 103, Docket in Denial. And Ralph starts by saying, cosines are glove rant. Thank you, Ralph. And subsequently says, while I agree that the technology for on-site screening of human genomes without a specific target doesn't exist now, I don't know if that is what the Canadian border authorities were trying to do. It could be that they were collecting samples to test later if a clue pointed to a suspect going through a particular airport en route to a crime event. The pandemic has certainly demonstrated that bioscreening technology for specific targets is developing rapidly, though. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of why I agree. Agree that it was unclear about why they were collecting the genetic material at the border. I think the writer was purposefully unclear, which is fine. I think they're just trying to maybe hint at improved DNA sequencing technology. Because I went back and I looked kind of what they said about the purpose of the screening was in the BioThread meeting, and the somebody says that the um, immediate implant. Implementation of biometric screening at the borders is the only sure way to keep track of these people and make sure more of them don't come in and the ones here don't escape. So there is kind of a sense that they could maybe identify these people more immediately than I think would be feasible with our current technology. If they're literally trying to keep them from escaping, I feel like they would need to be able to match them to a sample pretty quickly. But there is further discussion that they also are trying to do genetic screening of residents in the area to identify other cohorts, co not cohorts, colleagues of the Quebecois separatists, Sauveterre, to try to kind of root them out in place. So that they wouldn't necessarily need speedy sequencing and matching to identify those people since they aren't being transitory. But there was a implication that they possibly could stop people at the borders, which is why I thought they were maybe implying that the they could run DNA sequencing more rapidly than I think we could now, at least on that scale of individuals. Next, we have another email from Ralph in response to our discussion of the episode Bread and Pottages. And Ralph says, a side note to your comparison of Texas and Quebec separatism this week. I grew up in upstate New York, but went to seventh grade in Texas. So I was taught the version of Texas's statehood you discussed this week. 
I was surprised when I later moved to Vermont, and it turned out that Vermont, too, was an independent republic, as was Hawaii. As I hear it, all, in all three cases, the Republican government was set up by settlers to facilitate entry into the U.S. as a state. None of these republics were based on distinct non-Anglo cultures and overlooked the pre-existing people in those locations. On the other hand, Quebec was French for nearly as long as it has been under British rule, and Ottawa government did not honor the Franco-cultural legacy of Quebec. This led to the Quiet Revolution of the 1960s and 70s, and the PQ separatist movement that has been ongoing an ongoing political project ever since. Some Texas politicians may use a second secession as a dog whistle in their oratory, but my sense is that Quebecois are more culturally distinct from Canada than Texas is from the U.S. For example, no Montreal team would be called Canada's team the way that the Dallas Cowboys were. Since many of the next chapter writers are Canadian, this factor may be significant as OB moves forward. And I appreciated him sending this in. I went back and I listened to our episode and I realized in the episode itself, it sounded like we were more directly comparing the Quebec separatist movement to the sort of Texas separatist sentiments that exist here, which is not my intention. It was more just a, a sense of understanding like, oh, we are used to hearing this idea of separating from the country to which our state is a, a member of. But my my sort of side eye at the Texas separatist movement, which as as Ralph, I think, very aptly says here, is is typically a dog whistle used for political oratory. I did not mean to turn that same side eye to the Quebecois separatist movement. And Hawaii, actually, there's a sovereignty movement in Hawaii as well, because they were a kingdom before they joined the United States. And they do have a very, dis or did have a very distinct culture from the United States when they were the kingdom of Hawaii versus the state of Hawaii. Uh, I did not know that about Vermont, though. That was interesting to learn. I read. But it's just such a reminder because, you know, as an adult, I keep unlearning all of these things that we were taught in middle school. And, and maybe it's not necessarily that I'm remembering the things I was taught in middle school word for word, but just the culture that we're steeped in, it just kind of aggrandizes those maybe truthful things we were told, like, oh, Texas was a republic before it became a state in the United States, but it wasn't the only state that had that path to becoming a state in the U.S. It's one of only a handful, maybe, which is maybe kind of an interesting point of our history, but it does not make Texas especially unique. So it's just an interesting reminder of the ways in which we still have to kind of unlearn things that we were taught as younger people as we get older. And then finally, we received a DM on Twitter from Sean in regards to our discussion of episode 105, To Ignore the Obvious. And Sean said, One of my worries after the show's finale was that Cosima and Delphine would drift apart after the danger from Dyad and the Neolution had passed. That being in constant peril and conflict kept them coming back together. So it's interesting to see slash hear that Cosima believes that it happened with her Sestras, and she and Delphine are solid. Please let's make Stephanie Splendid Science a regular part of the show. It was brilliant. Thank you, Sean. I do my best. Sean continues, I'm not sure why, in all of the years they've known each other, why Sarah never shared her hoodie of invisibility trick with the Sestras. It was a can't-fail disguise. Thank you for the reminder. I'd forgotten about Sarah's hoodie of invisibility, her tendency to just flip that hood up, and man, nobody recognized her ever, did they? Oh, that would have been useful. <laughs> So thank you very much to folks for sending in feedback. We really appreciate it. We really enjoy hearing people's thoughts on the different episodes and also appreciate lovely things that they have said about us. Chris and I are, are I think, pretty clearly getting back into the 
routine and the practice of podcasting. And I, I think we're getting better. I think we're on an uphill climb. So thanks for being patient with us and being interested enough to listen again. And I hope to have our episode 106 discussion ready to be released next week. So thank you for your patience. I promise we haven't stopped podcasting again. There are more episodes to come. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you again next week. Bye.